Welcome to episode one of this new series on the Gospel of Luke. I am so pumped to get this started, and I'm so glad and so thankful that you've decided to give this a shot. I hope that episode one is fruitful enough for you to stick with it, and I hope that this becomes all that I hope that it will be and what it has been for me. I made an intro episode talking about kind of how the thought of this podcast series came to be and what I expect it to look like. So if you haven't listened to that, I might recommend it. I also made a kind of a little extra episode talking about how uh, I've kind of approached the Bible and uh, how the Bible is just a sweet book where the uh, New Testament fulfills the old and how things are all connected. Uh, So I might recommend listening to that as well, but without listening to either one, you are still totally game to dive into this with us today in this first episode. If you would like to read along in this series, the reading plan will be linked in the description of this episode. You can download that, it's totally free. Uh, If you wanna read along or you can just listen as we read through this good word together. Today we are beginning right at the start, beginning chapter one of the Gospel of Luke, verses one through 38. And we're going to dive in. Uh, Let's first pray. Holy Spirit, open up our minds and our hearts to receive the truth of your word. Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word have handed them down to us, I too have decided, after investigating everything accurately anew, to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings you have received. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in the eyes of God, observing all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Once, when he was serving as priest in the divisions turned before God, according to the practice of the priestly service, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. Then, when the whole assembly of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense offering, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled by what he saw, and fear came upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers toward their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to prepare a people fit for the Lord. Then Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him in reply, I am Gabriel, who stand before God. I was sent to speak to you and to announce to you this good news. But now you will be speechless and unable to talk until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah 
and were amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was gesturing to them, but remained mute. Then when his days of ministry were completed, he went home. After this time, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she went into seclusion for five months, saying, So has the Lord done for me at a time when he has seen fit to take away the disgrace before others. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So from the start, just a few things, like three things I want to note about the short introduction, the like first four verses here. Uh, the first is that our author Luke notes uh, about the story that has been handed on by eyewitnesses. So essentially saying that this is a secondhand account written by Luke. And we probably know this because Luke is never really mentioned uh, in any of the Gospels as one of the 12, one of the apostles. Um, so he's gotten this information from, from other sources. Nonetheless, he talks about writing an orderly account of events. And I think this could be, this could be interpreted one of two ways, whether he's talking about an orderly account in its being chronologically ordered or ordered as a narrative, ordered as a story. And I think that what we'll find and what I kind of found reading through this is that um, Luke is probably more talking about uh, an ordered narrative and that he writes this and compiles the events together uh, to tell a story which I think is a theme that, that we'll find as we read through this. And the third thing is the name Theophilus, which Luke throws in there. I don't quite know who this is. I don't know if, if theologians and biblical scholars have a definitive answer on this, but at least what it means, Theophilus translates to lover of God, like Theo meaning God and Philus meaning like love or lover. Um, so maybe Luke is simply writing it to us who read the Bible and that we are ideally people who love God and want to know more about him and the story of his son, Jesus Christ. So maybe Luke is simply inviting us 
as lovers of God to fall more deeply in love with him in his great story that he's laid out for us. So then we get into some of the action, uh, and we are introduced to our first characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So a few things that we find out about them uh, is that Zechariah is a priest, and it says that they are both righteous and followed the commandments blamelessly. So they're they're very Jewish. Um, they're like very devout Jews, which I think is important because we then hear about uh, their son that they're going to have John, who's, who's John the Baptist, who we know, um, which I think is important background. The John the Baptist is grew up in a very Jewish family and grew up with all these, uh, these Jewish customs, uh, which I think is important for us to remember that the New Testament is the continuity of the Old Testament, that Christianity comes about as the fulfillment of Old Testament Judaism, uh, that Jesus grew up in a Jewish family, John the Baptist grew up in a very Jewish family, and that the Old Testament leads into the new, and the new through Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament. We also find about Elizabeth uh, it says that she's old and barren, that she can't have kids. And if we're reading this again in continuity with the Old Testament, this might stick out to us uh, because there are many important figures and many important women in the Old Testament who are also uh, barren and can't quite have kids and probably get up there in age. Uh, examples would be Sarah, the mother of Isaac, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, the mother of Jacob, Jacob's wife, Rachel the mother of, of Joseph and Benjamin, um, are all women who pray to the Lord because they're barren and can't have kids in the book of Genesis. We also have the mother of Samson and Hannah, the mother of Samuel. All of these really important figures in the Old Testament, uh, their mothers were barren. So it's a theme. So if we hear that from Elizabeth, then my mind maybe jumps right to, okay, well, if she's going to have a kid, he's he's probably going to be an important kid if we're following the kind of Bible theme here. I think that that's affirmed when we are introduced to the next character of Gabriel, who is the angel of God, one of the three archangels that we that we see. So we know that this is a very important message that he's bringing because it's the angel of God. And if it's a very important message, then the kid is probably a very important kid. Also, I think this is important to note that Gabriel is only ever named otherwise in the Bible in the book of Daniel chapters 8 and 9, where there are some uh, themes of talking about the Messiah and kind of the coming of the coming of the, the time of God and the end of the age and some things. So there's some Messiah themes in the only other place that Gabriel is mentioned. So if Gabriel is named here again, could this have to do with the Messiah? If again, I'm reading through this in continuity. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, in, in just a, a few minutes here about who is the Messiah, why that's important, why that's incredibly important to the story at hand that we're reading about. But Gabriel introduces to us the child who is to be born named John, who is incredibly important. We learn a few things about John, who we come to know as John the Baptist. One is he describes John as great in the sight of the Lord. And I want to kind of just put a pin in that and we'll come back to it because uh, I think it's an important comparison to how Jesus is then described by Gabriel. A second thing that we hear about John is that he won't drink wine or strong drink. And this, we, if we read again in continuity with the Old Testament, 
that this is what we call a Nazarite vow. So in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, it talks all about uh, this mode of, of consecration to the Lord, of setting oneself apart to God through the Nazarite vow, which includes like not drinking wine or anything that comes from grapes, not like cutting your hair, a few other things. We only have two other people, two other characters in the Old Testament that we know have followed through on this Nazarite vow. And usually this Nazarite vow, as it's described in the Old Testament, is kind of like a short-term thing that someone would do. Um, maybe similar to like what you're what you're doing for a, a Lenten observance of doing something that kind of sets you apart and consecrates you to the Lord for a little while. Um, but the two other characters and John now are considered like lifelong Nazarites from birth, set apart and consecrated from birth. Those other two characters are Samson and Samuel. Samson, who we know uh, from the Old Testament, who like would never cut his hair because he loses powers, was like super strong. Uh, and Samuel, one of the great prophets in the Old Testament, anointed the first king of Israel. So two power players in the Old Testament were also also did the Nazarite vow. And that's what we see in John. So John must be important. And particularly so, because then the angel clarifies and says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is incredibly important in identifying John because of the prophet Malachi. So last book in the Old Testament is uh, the book of Malachi, who's a prophet. And he talks in chapters 3 and 4. In the beginning of chapter 3, so verse 1 of chapter 3, Malachi says uh, that the Lord says, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. As Malachi talks about the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah yet to come, he says, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And what does the angel say about John? He will go before him. And then furthermore, he says, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what does the prophet Malachi say in chapter four? He says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So what we find here in the angel talking about John and coming in the spirit and power of Elijah is totally a direct reference to the prophet Malachi. It's totally a direct connection that we can make if we're looking at the Old Testament to what the prophet Malachi talks about as the messenger that comes and the promised Elijah that comes. And then we have this, this like interesting line that's kind of strange where Gabriel talks about uh, that he will turn the hearts of, of fathers to their children. The prophet Malachi says the same thing in chapter four. He says, uh, he says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and children to their parents. So much of this is like what exactly what the angel says, what Gabriel says about John is like word for word from the prophet Malachi talking about the messenger and the promised Elijah who will come before the Messiah. So who's John? John is, if we understand, John is the messenger and the promised Elijah who is coming before the Messiah. So what this means is that the Messiah is coming. But so we understand that it's not John. John's not the Messiah. Or at least that's, that's kind of what we're gleaning from this. Then who is the Messiah? 
Um, so some context, I think before we get into the next section is like just in general, who is the Messiah? We get the we get the initial thought of the Messiah pops up in the second book of Samuel, chapter seven, where the prophet Nathan is speaking to David and says, When your days have been completed, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, descended from your line, and I will establish his kingdom. He it is who shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his royal throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. That's a description of the Messiah. It's this future king of Israel in the line of David, one of David's ancestors, future Davidic king. That's the Messiah. And so then for the rest of the Old Testament, all the the prophets continue to speak about this coming Messiah who eventually is going to come at some point. So uh, up until the time of Jesus, that's what the people are waiting for. People are waiting for this Messiah who's going to come at some point, who they've been promised, who God promised, made this covenant with David, that he would send this future king in the line of David. So that's what we're waiting for. That's what we talk about when we're talking about the Messiah. So it's not John, but if the angel says that John is the messenger before the Messiah, then that that says to us, the Messiah is on his way. And then we have the Annunciation to Mary. So Gabriel's named again. The angel comes. So that means it's an important message. And it's a message from Gabriel. So maybe it's about the Messiah again. The setting of what we have here to Mary is in Nazareth of Galilee. What importance that has is very minimal other than it's a tiny town. It's like it's not a very significant town. uh, Which is important in terms of like identifying Mary and why God chooses Mary. We'll say a bit about that. Um, but we we have our next two characters introduced, Mary and Joseph. Joseph, it doesn't say much about Joseph in Luke's gospel or really in the gospels in general. Uh, kind of a, a cool or interesting note just for the beginning of the gospel here is Matthew's gospel is almost kind of like Joseph's side of the nativity story and Luke's gospel is almost like Mary's side of the nativity story like what we'll read about in luke is like the annunciation to mary and the visitation and it'll be uh mary's mary's canticle things that are specific to mary we'll find in in luke's gospel so not as much talked about joseph although (laughs) matthew doesn't talk about joseph a whole lot either respect to joseph but the important detail about joseph that's mentioned here is that he is in the house of david which means he's in in David's line. He's an ancestor of David. So he could be the father of the Messiah. This is promising. Then we hear Mary. Important details about Mary. One is that she's a virgin. Um, So it says that she's betrothed to Joseph. My understanding of betrothal, and this may be totally wrong, um, is that it's not quite the same as our modern day engagement. Um, it's kind of like they've made some wedding vows, so they're sort of married, but the marriage isn't fulf- fulfilled and consummated until they are first betrothed, then the man goes off to build a house for them to live in, and then once the house is built, he takes the woman into his home, and they consummate the marriage through through intercourse, and they consummate and fulfill and complete the marriage, and at that point, they're married. So at this point, they're just betrothed. Uh, Mary's still a virgin. So uh, the child that the angel is about to tell her about is not from Joseph. 
So this is going to be a virgin birth. And that's significant because the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, talks about in kind of just a, an odd thing because there's all these little like little bits and pieces and glimmers throughout the Old Testament scattered around. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 7 where uh, the Lord's talking to King Ahaz and says, the Lord, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin is pregnant and will bear a son and will name him Emmanuel. So when we hear now, that Mary is a virgin, she's going to have a child, then that might make us think, could this be the virgin birth that was talked about? Could this be the virgin birth that Isaiah prophesied about? And if it is, he said the name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if if that's the virgin birth that we're talking about, then this child that Mary is going to have must be pretty significant. The Emmanuel, the God with us. The second thing I want to say about Mary um, is this important greeting or acclamation that she gets. The angel says, hail, favored one. The Lord is with you. So hail is this like this acclamation uh, of uh, some important greeting, essentially, that she's favored by God. But the line, the Lord is with you. I want to make a connection here to uh, the book of Judges, chapter 6. Maybe an unimportant connection, but I think is just really cool. Um, verses 12 through 16, Judges chapter 6. An angel comes to Gideon. Uh, the angel says to Gideon, the Lord is with you. So that same greeting, and then says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In this might of yours, go and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. And Gideon responds to the angel, saying, How can I? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So Gideon receives this, this call from the angel, and Gideon says, I, if My clan is weak, and I am the least. I'm the lowest of the low. But yet the angel came to Gideon, because God uses the lowly to bring down the mighty. He uses the weak to bring down the strong. And that's exactly what God is doing with Mary. This lowly virgin in Nazareth in a town in the middle of nowhere, he chooses her to be the mother of the Messiah to bring about the salvation of the world. An incredible, like a very small little, like the Lord is with you. That connects to this similar story in the Old Testament. The Bible's so cool. I love, I love those kind of little things. Anyway, most of the Annunciation uh, is important details for us about identifying who is Jesus. Because our next character that enters into the story is the most important character, the hero of our story, Jesus of Nazareth. So first, his name, Jesus, means God is salvation or God saves. That sounds like a very messianic name. Could he be the Messiah? We then hear that Jesus will be conceived by the Holy Spirit, will be called the Son of God. So uh, the hero of our story, Jesus, has divinity within him, that he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, God himself, uh, without getting into like a whole lot of Trinitarian theology or Christology or anything. Jesus, we find here, we, we read here, is not just a mere human being, is not just some good preacher or good teacher, that Jesus has divinity within him, that he, he, is, uh, he is more than a mere human being. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. Um, 
The another thing I want to note is kind of what we said before about John. Jesus, the angel Gabriel says that Jesus will be great versus John being identified as great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus is just flat out great. Um, We also hear Jesus called son of the most high. John will later be called prophet of the most high. In these two things, we see very simply, Jesus is greater than John. Jesus is more important than John the Baptist. And if John the Baptist is the messenger of the coming Messiah, then might Jesus be that Messiah? And we find it particularly when the angel says, the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This sounds like it's straight from 2 Samuel, what we just read about who the Messiah will be, that he's from the line of David, that he'll be a king forever. And plus, it's said that the Messiah, God says that he will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And Jesus is described as son of the Most High, son of God. It sounds right here like Jesus is the promised Messiah to come. And Mary gets asked to be the mother of the Messiah. Mary gets this incredibly high calling, yes or no, and she says without a doubt, let it be done to me according to your word. I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. We could say so much about Mary's fiat, but this is an incredible model for us of faithfulness to God, of being true servants of God, of being obedient to what the Lord calls us to, um, that if if we are faithful to him, that he's faithful to us and he'll, he'll call us to great things. But to be like Mary and to give a great fiat, a great yes to where God's calling us to because God can work great things in us. And the great thing that God worked through Mary was the greatest thing of all time, bringing his only son into the world to be our savior. This is incredible. This is what we get out of this first section. One, John is going to come first. John is the messenger and the promised Elijah before the Messiah. And that Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. And at this point, only our intimate group of characters so far knows this. Like uh, John's parents uh, and Mary and Joseph are the only ones that know this. But the promised time of Israel's Messiah is coming soon. And I can't wait to see how it goes. This is, this is incredible stuff. Uh, this is the, the baseline for the story of the gospel, uh, the story of God's promised Messiah coming to bring about salvation to the world. I hope that this first episode was good for you, totally longer than I planned it to be, and I hope that we can uh, kind of bring down bring down the time and condense things a little bit in future episodes but there's so much to say in this first one these first few episodes they have so much packed into it right at the beginning of the gospel and i love it so much uh and i pray that in your reading you came to found some find something new and transformative about your understanding of jesus christ hopefully together we can come closer uh to relationship with him let's pray to end this in the words he taught us our father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.